When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to once again revisit the topic of COVID-19. And, and this isn't so much an update video because, uh, to be honest, by the time it's published, it's going to be out of date. Uh, furthermore, I mean, that's not really the, the purpose of my podcast to provide informational updates on something that's as widely publicized as uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. I mean, you can find the numbers, you can find the big news items. There are some particular ones I want to talk about, but it's some, not so much to, to inform you guys on any of this. Rather, it's to offer my thoughts on it all. And as a whole, I mean, all of this is really, uh, I'm, I'm presenting this for, for two purposes. First of all, I think to mentally prepare each and every one of you for uh, the coming months, um, because I do think that they are going to be drastically different from, I think, what maybe some, I don't know, investors, some media individuals, some some individuals on the street are, are expecting them to look like in terms of stay-at-home orders and lockdowns and, and just how society is going to function over the coming months and, and even year plus. Um, furthermore, though, I also want to present this as, uh, well, from sort of a financial perspective. Uh, this is what I expect going forward in terms of, well, how the economy and, and how the stock market and whatnot um, is, is going to perform relative to how, how the society and the economy is going to return to normal or, or rather how long that will take for, for it to return to any semblance of, of normality. So in short, you know, we have this idea today that that peak cases, peak deaths in the United States is right around the corner. And, and I think there's some that, that foolishly believe that uh, peak deaths in, you know, on the eastern seaboard or in uh, New York City and New Jersey, that once we pass that peak, give it a couple extra days and things will be, you know, back to normal. And, and that's certainly not going to be the case. Now, I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to, um, I, I don't think very many of you guys necessarily fall into that camp. That's definitely not where we're headed. Reason being is that, as I sort of mentioned yesterday, sort of a preview for today's podcast, the curve, I guess, if, if you were to graph all the da- new daily deaths and new daily cases here in the United States, as a curve, because the first part of it would look, look very much like a curve that would ramp up and then eventually peak. It's going to be a very asymmetric curve, meaning, you know, we've got the first case here in the United States back in January, right? And it took a long time to accumulate, but obviously at some point by, by you know, March started accumulating pretty regularly and then really ramping up to the point where the U.S. has the most cases uh, publicly, and officially in the entire world, right? It's a, it makes a nice curve. And, and that's over a time span of what? I mean, two, three months. I mean, middle of January. But I mean, it didn't really get started until, 
you know, a couple weeks later, at least, uh, at least before these confirmed cases showed up, they were there. They just we weren't testing for them enough. We weren't finding them. But but it took a while, and so this curve. Let's say it's you know a month and a half, two months, whatever. Um, that the other half of the curve that once we hit the peak is going to be a similar timeline, roughly two months, right? Two months to get to the peak and two months to move from the peak back to essentially zero. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And in fact, you know, as many have suggested, uh, I think if anything, this is going to be a much more drawn out process of getting these cases uh, closer to zero. And furthermore, I think that the risk of policy error, meaning reopening things too quickly or giving people a false assurance that it's gone or whatever, is going to uh, lead to uh, second waves, third waves, etc. I mean, we've already seen this to some extent in China, which China, by the way, I mean, you can see these pictures of, of some of their touristy uh, locations after lockdown just packed to the brim with people. And, and unfortunately, that is a side effect of their you know, Chinese government, uh, their communist government um, lying about, you know, the true nature of the number of cases and, and deaths and whatnot within their country. Obviously, they were lying months ago when, when it was more so relegated to the Hubei province and then slowly spread into other provinces. Um, but today, you know, the past couple of weeks, they've continued to, to tell this story of, um, you know, only a couple cases here, a couple cases there. It's pretty much stamped out. And, and that's not the case, I don't think, at all in China. And so, but what you get is, is China, they're, they're trying to alleviate the, the fears of, of maybe their, their citizens, but more so, I don't know, maybe showing the U.S., like, look at how good we have this under control. Not just the U.S., the rest of the world, you know. This is an economic war, after all, that, that never really ended. And it's giving everyone a false sense of assurance that, hey, look at this, I can go back into public. I can go into tightly packed spaces with crowds of hundreds of people. Well, I mean, they're, they're probably due for a second or I don't know, maybe it'd be a third wave by now. And the same is true for a lot of other countries that are probably going to go through a similar process. You know, as some have pointed out, you know, if, if at some point in the United States, in your individual state, there's a lifting of a lockdown order, that's not... A, a go-ahead to uh, just go to all the concerts you want to this summer. I, I don't think those necessarily will take place, by the way. But uh, sporting events or uh, huge tourist um, destinations or uh, a green light to fly as much as you want. I mean, some people maybe need to for more or less for work, but fly as much as you want or or go to the movie theater, you know, go clubbing, whatever it is that, that you like to do that, that involves large amounts of people in a relatively confined space. That's not the go-ahead to, to go back to all those things. If anything, if that lockdown order is, is maybe removed, I mean, take that opportunity to... Um, I don't know, restock. I mean, you could always, people can do that anyways right now, but but certainly be careful. Continue to social distance, right? There's probably nothing wrong with that, that point, you know, um, catching up with friends, having small, um, um, small events or, you know, small meetings or hanging out or whatever. Uh, sure, but, but in terms of, of just these massive crowds, once again, going back to normal, that's just, we're just asking for a second wave. But, but, but before we even get to that second wave, 
we, we have to take care of the first wave. And, and, and the problem with this, the, the, what I think a lot of people aren't understanding, and, and this is the media, this is classic U.S. mainstream media. What is the most important region in the eyes of the mainstream media in the entire United States? Yeah, of course, it's the Northeast. More particularly, like New York, New Jersey, uh, the D.C. area, Maryland, Delaware, that whole area, the most important, right? And second, uh, you know, a runner-up would be uh, Los Angeles, right? And so there's this, there's this narrative being pushed by the media, and I think investors are buying into it because, again, Wall Street traders, I mean, Wall Street, it's in New York City, and many others are buying into this, this notion that once New York and New Jersey have it under control, which, by the way, they're still a long ways away from that, um, that, that the rest of the country is going to be fine. And that's not at all true. That's like, that's like when the media in New York... Uh, well, really, the whole mainstream media makes a huge deal about, I don't know, a, a snowstorm, you know, 12 inches of snow, which, by the way, for, for somewhere like Minnesota, it's not that big of a deal. I get it. It's New York City. Where are you going to put that snow? But they make a huge deal about that or even just a tropical storm going up the eastern seaboard. And I get it. It's it, it's damaging. It's maybe deadly. But they make a bigger deal about that oftentimes than, than a very significant hurricane or a very significant snowstorm or whatever else, um, elsewhere in the country. I mean, it's a very, I mean, it, the media is largely lives in that area. It's, it's near and dear to their hearts. I mean, so, so there's this, you have to keep that in mind. But, but New York and New Jersey, they're many weeks away from having this anywhere under control, anywhere near under control, right? We have, I think, very little to no data that we're even at a peak yet. I think that's still days, if not a week away, it, it, you know, it's really hard to say. But once it does, you know, start to subside in that area, well, guess what? We have like 48 other states that aren't named New York or New Jersey that have to sort of go through the same process. And there's going to be some states where it's really going to be not that important in the whole scheme of things because oftentimes because of their geography, maybe to some extent they're already their culture, their society. I'm talking states like Wyoming, Montana, uh, Utah. I mean, yes, each of those states have larger cities, but as a whole, it's not going to be as deadly or as drastic of a change uh, compared to like New York or, or really the whole eastern seaboard, Los Angeles, San Francisco, a lot of the west coast as well, right? It's just not going to be, you guys get what I'm saying, right? But there's a ton of other states that right now are still seeing their cases ramp up looking at you, Florida, and Louisiana, and Texas, and Michigan, and probably, I haven't checked all these numbers, but, you know, Illinois, right? And then you look at some of these other states, I mean, Pennsylvania, Ohio, I mean, those, they have large, large cities, large metro areas there. You have California, um, you know, really the whole West Coast, uh, plenty other, um, you know, the Carolinas, plenty other areas on the eastern seaboard, the Gulf Coast, where this outbreak is going to continue to spread or at least peak many days or weeks after the New York peak, assuming that New York only peaks once. Um, and it's going to spread from state to state. It's going to be a very asymmetric looking curve. Right? You're going to have the two-month ramp up, but the ramp down is going to be many, many, many months, especially since it's likely that we'll also have you know, policy error along the way, and we're going to have um, cases uh, um, 
you know, a second wave of cases, second wave of deaths along the way. And in a, uh, again, this is going to be paralleled around the world. It already has been paralleled around the world. What was the first wave? It was obviously China, right? But then you had following waves in um, you know, South Korea and Iran and Italy. And then shortly after that, Spain, France, Germany, uh, you know, some other European countries. And then a little bit after that, you had the UK. Um, the US sort of falls right behind Italy by, by a week or two, a little bit behind Spain and France probably as well in terms of our place on the curve. Um, but then once we sort of get things under control and we're on the other side of the curve, which again, it's gonna be a very long move back closer to zero. I'm not saying we have to wait till we get to zero to open up the economy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's, there's still gonna be a lot of cases out there. But once we're moving back, you're going to have a ton of other countries um, on on their first half of the curve, the pre-peak part of their curve. India and the Philippines and Indonesia and Malaysia and Thailand, and a lot of those Southeast Asian countries, which I'm not convinced that they've had it as well under control as they've said for a long time now. Eventually, a lot of African, South American countries, Brazil is moving up very quickly. Russia actually has been moving up very quickly. Um, they did their best early on to, to you know, lock down their borders and prevent it from spreading to their country, and it worked for a while. But but you know they're they're reporting a thousand plus cases um, their most recent day. I mean that's a pretty move, big move to the upside. Potentially some European countries that haven't hit yet. You know Turkey, um, you know, the massive amounts of of migrants, of of refugees in and around Turkey and Syria. Um, Greece, you know, some of those countries, you know, there's a lot of other places where this, I mean, they're still in their pre-peak curve, right? And then, I mean, we're going to have second waves, third waves, eventually in a lot of these countries, you know, Italy is probably going to deal with that, depending on the level of herd immunity that they have there, Spain and France and, and Germany and on and on, United States. It's going to be a long, drawn-out process. Now, when does it end? I don't think that it has to end at herd immunity. There's some suggestion that, you know, in places like Italy, there's a very high rate of asymptomatic illness, meaning they're a heck of a lot closer to herd immunity than, than we think. Um, we'll see on that. I think that's really early and, and not perfect data, right? And certainly a country like the United States with such a broad geography, I'm not saying Italy is not a big country, but the U.S. is much larger. You know, that type of herd immunity is just not going to be there for a lot of states, most states, most large cities. And unless this goes on for a long time and it affects a lot, lot more people before we have it under control, right? That type of herd immunity is not going to be there. So when does it end? Well, it ends with two things. First of all, robust testing Robust testing where you can um, test antibodies, which is slowly coming online, slowly but surely, as well as test, you know, active case tests for active cases. Uh, and, and obviously we have that as well. It's just not where it needs to be, right? Furthermore, for the level of testing that we have right now, we need to have a fewer number of cases. And what I mean by that is if you have 100 cases, you, with today's testing capacity, could probably test all the potential contacts, family members, coworkers of those 100 people and make sure they're not, you know, 
diseased, that they're not infected, right? But if you have 100,000 active cases, how are you going to test for all the, I mean, it's just logistically, numbers-wise, it's just too many people. It's too large an outbreak still, right? We need to get those numbers down. And then the other one is going to be um, vaccine. And I know, I know, I know, I know you guys are, there's always, you know, these people on my podcast that are saying vaccines are the enemy, they're of the devil, they're going to, they're, they're the ways that, that um, the, the world enslaves us all. It's, it's part of the New World Order agenda to vaccinate us all. And, and I, yada, yada, yada. I get it. I get those people are out there. I think that's not the majority. It's the vocal minority of my audience. It's the vocal minority of any audience, right? And I'm not trying to... Um, now, now, I don't think that's necessarily a science-based approach. And again, I, you're, you're going to throw plenty of non-evidence-based articles at me and whatever you know it's a it's a vast conspiracy among thousands whatever i get it and that that fear is out there for me personally you know vaccines don't make me afraid um i've i've had all my vaccinations growing up um i'm required to get the flu vaccination each year as part of my you know occupation um and doesn't bother me. I think they're fine. Now, with that being said, I'm not a fan of mandatory vaccination, uh, and and especially for for individuals or or you know when when they say it's mandatory to have your kids vaccinated. Period. End of story. Not a fan of that. I mean, it doesn't mean that those kids, you know, if if there's public schools and, and they're like, look, you need vaccinations, go to this public school, and if you don't, they have to be homeschooled and or private school or boarding school, whatever. Or not boarding school, but but like a charter school. I get that. I get that. Um, but mandatory vaccinations, I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. That's that's really a lack of autonomy over your own body or your child's you know, body. And I'm not, I mean, that's that's where I draw the line personally. I think it should still be a personal choice. However, you know, that's one of the other ways that we get out of this potentially some sort of a yearly vaccination similar to the flu shot or eventually it just goes by the wayside It mutates into something less deadly or, you know, I'm not convinced herd immunity is going to be our ticket out um, because A, that would require a lot of people to get infected. B, it would, um, it might not last for very long because coronaviruses, like many other viruses, you know, change over time and, and you probably lose that herd immunity much like you would lose any sort of immunity from a flu that you caught two years ago. So, Anyways, feel free to leave all your pseudoscience comments down below if, if that bothers you, what I just said. But again, vocal minority. Um, as I was saying, that's kind of the two ways out. High, high levels of testing to really stamp this out and um, and some sort of vaccination program. I, treatment's great, but I don't think that's going to fix it because, hey, there's still a huge asymptomatic population. Um Obviously, there's other things as well. I mean, masks, that's something the U.S. has to get on top of and start wearing masks. And finally, we are, right? Finally, the CDC updated their guidance. But, uh, yeah, this is going to be a long process. And so what does this mean, you know, financially and economically speaking for the U.S. and, and for the world? I mean, this is the Greater Depression, guys. This is the Greater Depression. Um, this is a problem that's not going away anytime soon. We're, again only a small percentage of the way through. I mean, we're not even halfway through this in terms of duration. Um, these lockdowns will continue for a while. They're going to be lifted, and they very well may be put back in place in some states once again, in some countries. 
And and I mean, even if you just look at the the margins of the economy that are going to be hurt by this for, for many, many months, even after these lockdowns end, you look at the hospitality industry, the airline industry, cruise ships, um, cinemas, the restaurant industry, all those things are going to be hurt long term after this. Um, that That's enough to, to really damage economic growth for a while. Uh, but then there's Again, I mean, the lockdowns that will continue for a while and, and social distancing and just changes to how we operate as a society around the world, um, that's going to continue to drag down economic growth. So, again, greater depression. I mean, this is, I, I don't want to get too deep into where the market's going. I think you guys can assume what my thoughts are on the stock market based on all this. Right, I can tell you that a, a couple things are going to be going up. That's going to be precious metals, uh, the Fed balance sheet, and U.S. debt. I mean, those things for sure are going to go up. Eventually, treasury yield, treasury yields are going to go up, but that's not necessarily positive. Um, there's going to be a lot of state budgets, city budgets, county budgets are going to be absolutely blown up by this, uh, along with individuals, corporations. There, I mean, ultimately, it's going to be the the Fed and the U.S. government that's going to be trying to paper over this whole situation. Right, um, fixing everybody and everyone's individual financial problem, uh, the banks, the corporations, the restaurants, the small businesses, the individuals, the states, the counties, the cities—you know—all of those things are going to be bailed out by government, right, and by the Federal Reserve. But that leads to massive currency uh, debasement, ultimately. And it's not going to be just the case for the United States. In fact, you know, a lot have said, hey, the U.S. is we're moving towards this, you know, including Raul Powell, talking about how we're moving to this massive surge up in the price of dollar. Not necessarily meaning that silver and gold will go down hugely or in a proportionate manner, but a huge move up in the dollar before ultimately it, it all falls apart. And I think that's possibly true that, that you know, the yen, the euro, the yuan, the pound, and a lot of other currencies are going to be debased even more for a while here. Um, but that ultimately it ends with a massive dollar debasement and, and crash. And this is, again, this COVID-19 is not going to be around as long as Great Depression was around. Or at least it's not going to influence society and the economy and whatnot to that same extent. This is a recession. This is a Greater Depression that was born of a massive, massive bubble that is now in the process of popping. Right? You know, one of my playlists here on YouTube is titled The Coming Crash. And, and that's where I file a lot of these videos, you know, The Coming Crash, let's throw it there. Well, I mean, pretty soon here, I think by pretty soon, maybe a couple weeks ago, a month or two ago, I need to retitle that to The Crash is Here or The Current Crash because it's here, right? This is, I mean, this is what a lot of us have been looking for for a long time now, the Greater Depression. And it's going to last much, much longer than this covid 19 is going to be with us because it's this is a massive bubble that was merely pricked by a virus pricked by a pandemic not ultimately caused by a pandemic that's what we have to prepare for many many more months of the covid 19 to come but i think years and years of these economic woes as always though i'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and god bless